Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. We are working on the book of Revelation, which is no small feat, by the way. In fact, this week as I was studying things out, and what I usually do is I'll read it in the New Living Testament, then I'll read it in the NIV, then the New King James, and then I'll figure out uh, what the commentaries say about this passage. This week it actually said, this is one of the most difficult texts in Revelation. And having gone through it, I agree. It was difficult. And just a little bit I've experienced already this morning, I know that the enemy has been working against me. To be frank, I didn't even want to get up here tonight. Any Franks in here? Sorry. I didn't want to get up here this morning because the, the struggle was so great. I feel like this is from the Lord, but wow, sometimes it's just a kind of thing. So would you stand one more time? Would you aim a hand at me and say this with me? Dear Lord, help Pastor Norm to preach real good today. And help me to understand what he's saying. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now that I got that out of the way. September 3rd, and I wanted to share this before so that when we get to the end, I'm not sidetracked. September 3rd, uh, which is a week from today, is Labor Day weekend. How many are planning on being here? Three hands going up. All right, good. (laughs) Western Michigan Teen Challenge is going to join us. And as you know, I mean, they they rock it out there. It's going to be the co-ed team, men and women, I have no clue what they're going to share other than I know they're going to share their testimonies about how God has delivered them and has raised them up from the ashes. So be here a week from today. Support this team. Uh, I know you're going to be blessed if you're able to be here. And I know it's summer, you know, lots of vacations. In fact, how many are on vacation today? How many aren't here that are on vacation today? Raise your hand. Uh, Yeah. See, there are a lot of folks. We need to understand, though, God doesn't stop because it's summer. There are people out there dying, even though it's vacation time. Today's message runs right in that vein. I'm telling you, as I went through it, maybe that's why I'm feeling this today, is I feel the Spirit just impressing on me the urgency of the hour. With that said, how many know who Dr. Jack Van Impey is? He's pretty well known. He has his own uh, TV station and has been on the air for years talking about mainly about end times prophecy. Brother Jack was sick, got sick a couple of years ago. His heart was given out and all kinds of things were going on and he actually started to forget the 14,000 scriptures that he had committed to memory. They knew something was wrong. All right. This whole time, this last two years, he's just been praying, he's been fasting, he's been seeking God's counsel, godly counsel. 
And recently, I don't know if this was a week ago, two weeks ago, but recently, he had an experience with God. (laughs) How many know that's always a good thing? He claims that he, whether he was taken to heaven in body or in spirit, as Paul said, he isn't sure. But he knew this. He actually had an interview with Jesus. And he spent in his time about an hour and a half with the Lord, asking him all kinds of questions about end time stuff. Here's the one thing that he he left, and this conversation was shared with Pastor Dave Williams, who used to be my pastor, and uh, that's how I heard it. But anyway, uh, he shared with Pastor Dave, he said, the one thing that Jesus said, Jesus is coming back soon. Not in a hundred years. Hear me. I don't think it's going to be ten years. In fact, it'll be a miracle if it's one year. Come on, folks. The hour is urgent. The Lord is trying to impress on us just how urgent. And I believe the way we live our lives in these last days is going to really reveal what we believe and how much we trust the Lord. Are you still with me? I'm going to start to share... We'll see how this goes. Chapter 10, the book of Revelation, and I'm reading from the New Living Testament unless I share otherwise. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. Now listen, when I first read this, I thought, got to be Jesus, right? But I'm not so sure after reading the, the different views. Who is this mighty angel who came down from heaven? The fact is, most Bible scholars are divided. It's almost 50-50. I believe, though, that it is probably a mighty angel, not Jesus, and I'll explain that a little bit more as we move into the next verse. Others feel, though, that this personage is Jesus, and there are many reasons. I mean, think about it. There's a cloud over his head. He's got the rainbow that he's wearing. He roars like a lion. His feet are like pillars. Who else would that represent? But the personage coming from heaven is most likely going to look like this anyway. And there are other places in the the Bible that talk about angels looking like this. So we don't know for sure whether it's Jesus or just another powerful, not just, another powerful angel. We don't know. So we just have to realize that maybe this one, we're just going to have to believe it's either Jesus or it's an angel, but either way, God's going to get some work done here, right? Second, we don't know who the seven thunders are. John doesn't tell us. In fact, this is what he says in verse 4. He said, When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Keep secret what the seven thunders said and don't write it down. Now listen, if God tells you to keep something secret, It best be kept secret, right? 
Because you want God to be able to trust you. And I heard this from our prophetic etiquette. <laughs> this, I knew it was going to be one of those mornings. Prophetic etiquette class uh, leaders, Julie was telling us that one of the things she teaches the people is sometimes God gives you word, and it's not just to blurt out, but it's to hang on to for another season. I mean, at some point, God's going to say, shout it out. But we have to realize as we move in the Spirit that sometimes we're just supposed to hang on to that little nugget until God gives us permission to share. And in this case, John was told to hold up. Don't go any further with this. Just keep it in mind. It's what he did. Then the angel I saw, standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand toward heaven. Everything's about to happen right now. Everything is about to happen. Just as this passage of Scripture is sharing, God is ready to release His plan. His purpose is going to be accomplished soon. Amen? Verse 6, He swore an oath in the name of the One who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it, he said, there will be no more delay. Now, this is the verse I was telling you about that I believe helps us to understand that the last, the angel, was not Jesus. Because this angel would not be praying to himself. Alright? Do you see that? And that's why we feel this is truly another very powerful angel. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Do you realize that this book is full of everything that's going to happen? From beginning to end. And it's been proclaimed for thousands of years. The things that God is going to do through man's history and in the very end. And even beyond that, right? We know what's coming. We know from the ark, when God saved man from the flood. By the way, how, I, you guys just went down to uh, the Creation Science Museum, and it was awesome. I didn't see a lot of pictures, but I saw some of your... your, your <laughs> okay, forgot his camera. God just wanted you to have that on your heart. But I believe, though, that the prophecies that we read about in Scripture... They are so accurate, and there's no way, there is no way that all of them could be as accurate as they are without it being God. They've all come true, practically. And the ones that haven't are about to. And it started with Jesus. The fulfillment of generations of prophecy are about to take place. Now listen, many have used the argument that God's late. Therefore, he isn't real. Do you really believe in that fairy tale? I've heard this from people. Maybe they're atheists, agnostics, whatever. Some kind of sticks. Or is. Second Peter actually tells us this in the NIV. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How many are glad God was patient with you? 
what would it be like if we were sitting here today? God, hurry up and come back. I'm tired of these wicked people all around me. You just come back now, Lord, because, hey, I'm saved, so let's go. Can we have that attitude? That's not a good attitude, but we can have that attitude. We can forget about the millions, if not billions, of people that are going to die and go to hell. It's real. It's serious. God's mysterious plan. It's been playing out since the time of Adam and Eve, back when they sinned in the garden. And it culminates in the salvation through Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. God has worked out His mysterious plan through the ages in order to get His people to come to Him and to trust Him and to believe in Him. Do you believe? God's plan intends to bring all of us back to Him, to bring us into right standing with Him, so that when this life, this body gives out, our spirit's going to go into eternity to live with Him forever. The Bible says we're going to be given glorified bodies. I don't know what that means. But I'm certain it's going to be a lot better than the one I'm in now. And I've mistreated this body. I have. Many of you have. But when we get to heaven, all that's going to be behind us. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. I'm looking forward to that day, to be honest. I'm looking forward. All of us are redeemed through the blood of God's Son. We will be rewarded if we've given our lives to Jesus. There's nothing we can add to it. There's no works that we can perform to get it. All we can do is believe. That's why it's a mystery. Have any of you ever been to the mystery spot? Does it mess with your head? The room is like, you you feel like you're sideways. It, It kind of breaks the laws of nature, doesn't it? That's why it's a mystery spot. But if you found out why it does what it does, it'd no longer be a mystery. Right? The same is true with the Lord. Listen, we don't get it. We don't understand why God had to send His Son Jesus to die for us, to take our place on that cross. We don't understand And yet God said it was necessary. Our logic says, no, I don't want Jesus to have to die for me. But the fact is, He already did. The non-believer might say, why would I put my faith in God's Son? Why would He have to send Him to save me? My answer I don't get it, but I believe it. And just like the mystery spot, you need to believe. You can see it with your eye, right? The mystery spot. You can see that everything is weird. 
Well, in the Spirit, it's the opposite. You can't see it with your eye, but you know in your heart that what God did was necessary. It breaks every law of nature. Our logic goes off the chart like this shouldn't be, but God said it had to be. And therefore, we need to just believe that Jesus had to die for us or we wouldn't be allowed into heaven. How many can say amen? Simple faith. Heaven is going to be filled with people that have simple faith. Faith like a child. Is that you? It should be. Let me read just a little more about the mystery of God. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. This is the NIV that I'm sharing. Oh, and I don't have a slide for that, so you just get to listen. Concerning this salvation, concerning what? The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is the mystery. It's salvation through Jesus. Again, we may not understand it, but we don't need to. For we are saved by faith and not by sight. Right? Saved by faith and not by sight. Next verse, verse 8. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again, Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and I told him, Give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth and when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Now what in the world is happening here? This isn't like a little cracker with honey on it, all right? We believe that this is the Word of God or a prophecy about future things to come. And as John takes this and eats it, in a spiritual sense, it has an effect on him. It goes down as honey. When he first puts it in his mouth, mm, 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 mm. the Word of God is sweet. And for those that are born again, those that are saved, those that know what their future holds for them, it's sweet like honey. But for those who don't know Jesus, for those that reject what God did for them, it's going to be bitter. It's going to be sour to them. John is recognizing this as he takes this in. He knows what's coming. He knows that thousands, if not millions of people are, are going to be saved, have already been saved, but he also realizes that billions of people are going to die in their sins. So it's 
bittersweet, as the old saying goes. That's what he was facing here as he ate from this little scroll. Are you still with me? Then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. John's work was not done yet. I'm sure he would have liked it to have been done by this point. He'd already seen, if you've been following this series, you, you know what he's already seen. Horrendous sights. The earth being not completely destroyed, but near it. A quarter of it here, a third of it there. People dying all over the world. The sea giving up the fish and dying. I mean, crazy stuff going on. I'm sure John was ready to just say, okay, okay, enough. Ever feel like that? I can't do it anymore, God. I have a feeling that's kind of where John was right here. So the Lord said, "Uh uh-uh, you're not done yet. I've got more to tell the people that are coming. What is prophecy? Foretelling of what? God's, God's Word, right? What God has in store. So John was faithful. He didn't give up here. He continued on. Here's what I wanted to share at this point. Just like John couldn't stop sharing what the Lord was putting on his heart, we can't stop sharing what God has done in our lives. We have to be a witness to his love and forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, but also his judgment. It's something the church has forgotten. His judgment. Can you say that word with me? Judgment. Have any of you ever stood in front of a judge? A human judge? It's kind of spooky, isn't it? I wasn't even the guy that he was interviewing. I was just in there with somebody, and I I felt that. There's something about that position. He's going to determine, or she's going to determine, this person's future. Just as God is. By the way people live their lives. But if we can get a hold of these people, if we can share how God sent Jesus to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins, to buy us back from hell, we might save one, a thousand, ten thousand. What if the person you help bring into the church happened to be the next Billy Graham? You don't know. That's why we can't be sitting on our keister. We've got to be busy about the Father's business. We've got to tell people about Jesus. Listen, the Scripture just beat me up. Ezekiel 33. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. 
Who's going to be held responsible? The watchman. He goes on, but if you warn them to repent, and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you've saved yourself. Now listen, we don't live under the law anymore. We live under grace. But I believe this Scripture still bears out today. We can't take the goodness, the sweetness of the Gospel, the goodness of God, we can't hold this to ourselves and not share it with those who are dying and going to hell. If we are, we're no different than this person that God's talking about. So listen to me, saints. This isn't a beat you up message. It's just a reality check. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? If you've got people in your family that aren't born again, you better start giving the warning because Jesus is coming back. There's not time to sit back. Now listen, a lot of people are going to see us going up. The church is going to be raptured. A lot of your family members who aren't saved are going to watch you go up, or maybe not watch you, but they're going to know you're gone. And hopefully you'll leave little messages around your house. If I'm not here, please feed the cats. I'm with Jesus now. Here's what you need to do. Get on your knees. Repent. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your many sins. And then start following Him. And don't take the mark of the beast. Okay? We should all have something like that laying around our house. But wouldn't it be better to start telling them now? Just saying. Okay, time to jump into chapter 11. You still with me? Wow. Verse 1. Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers. But do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1260 days. Now let me explain this real quick. First, right now there's no temple in Jerusalem. So in order for this passage to, to take place, what has to happen? They've got to build it, right? Now we know a little bit about the first temple. Solomon built it. It was a, just an amazing place. All around the world, people knew about Solomon's temple. David thought he was going to build it, but it ended up his son built it, Solomon. But that was torn down during the siege of Babylon. During their captivity. They took everything out, anything of value. They stole it. And they destroyed it. A little bit later, we find that uh, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, I just like saying it, he built the second temple 
Now this one, it couldn't cast a shadow on the other one, right? It, it was a dud compared to the first one. But nevertheless, they had a place to worship God. And that was in existence until the first century, around the time that Jesus came and went, 70-ish A.D., the Romans destroyed it, burnt it to the ground. Jesus prophesied that. He said there wouldn't be one stone left on another. And there wasn't. The whole place was completely destroyed. And there hasn't been a temple since. Now there's rumblings that they are training the Levitical priests to understand what the sacrifices were and what their job was. They're making the instruments, the labor, and the things that went along with the sacrifices so that they can worship Him again. But get this. Jesus didn't come back for worship in the temple. So what this tells us is they're still not going to believe These Jews are going to be worshiping God the way they did in the Old Testament. That's not the way God wants us to worship Him anymore. Is it? Jesus died for us once and for good. We don't have to offer sacrifices up anymore. But they're going to. This is all part of the end times plan. What did God say? He said, don't measure the outer court. Why? Because the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are going to trample the city. What does that mean? It means that the Jews, there's going to be anti-Semitism like you've never seen before. You think the Holocaust was bad? Now this measuring, I believe, as do many scholars, is really more of a, how do they measure up to God's glorious standard? All right, They're still under the law. So how do they measure up to God's law? That's what they're actually measuring here. Don't worry about the Gentiles. We'll deal with them later. But I want to know about the worshipers, the Jewish people. This whole thing is about the Jews now. We're in the tribulation. The Jewish people are now the focus of God. We've left the age of grace, right? That ended when the church went up to live with Him forevermore. So we're not here anymore. Now we're talking about the Jews. They are God's chosen people. And God is going to do the miraculous here, but first, they're going to be judged. And they're going to go through some horrific things during this tribulation period. Are you still with me? As I try to find my place here. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah, I was in chapter 11. I forgot where I was at, sorry. So I went through that, went through that, went through that. Yep, yep, yep. The two witnesses are going to prophesy for 1260 days, which, if you realize in the Jewish calendar, it wasn't like ours. It wasn't all goofed up. 29 days here, 31 there. It's always 30 days. So it works out, the math works out. Uh, to this perfect number, which equals three and a half years, which just happens to be half of the seven-year tribulation. Right. 
All right, and then finally, the burlap is a sign of repentance and judgment. So as these guys wear this, they're just saying to everybody, you're doomed unless you repent. You're doomed unless you repent. Here we go. Okay, oops. Did I miss one? I have to apologize. What is that? I might have missed one. Oh, I did. At the very beginning, I was supposed to talk about how in order for their, this passage to be completed, to be fulfilled, there has to be a temple. Second Thessalonians, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming he himself is God. Now how can he do this unless so there has to be a temple. All right, that, that was a point there. I'm sorry I missed that one. You know, I get off on these things and I lose my spot. Verse 4, chapter 11. These two prophets are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. Aren't you glad that today's prophets aren't like this? They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. I want to be one of these guys. How many are thinking that, right? Oh yeah, well... And frogs come out of their ear. That didn't happen in the Bible. It just says plagues. It doesn't say which kind. But here's the thing, though. We do feel like these are probably going to be some, similar to the plagues that we saw when uh, Moses was under the duress of Egypt. And we also feel like as Elijah held the rain back, that it's going to be really dry for a season. Even though God is pouring out His wrath on the unbelievers of this age, his prophets continue to call people to repentance. Which I find absolutely amazing. Because the angel said, there's not going to be any more delay, and yet, God's sending these two witnesses. So here's the thing. If people fry, it isn't because God didn't try. Can you say that with me? If people fry, it isn't because God didn't try. And I mean that in every sense of the word, because the plagues and the things hitting the earth, they're going to fry. But they're also going to fry for eternity in hell. And if they end up in hell, it's nobody's fault but their own, because God did His best to reach these people with the truth. And if they don't accept what He offered to them, it's their own fault. Don't blame God. So the two olive trees represent the fact that these two witnesses are full of the Holy Spirit. But they're also two lampstands. You see, even in the midst of all this darkness, God still has a light going there, which shows His mercy. 
He wants all men to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But these people don't get a clue. They want to live their sinful lives. They don't want anybody to tell them what they have to do or not do. And by rejecting God, they're in a sense determining their future. What I also want you to see here is there are only two lampstands. If you remember back in Revelation chapter 1, how many were there? Seven. Why aren't there nine now? Because the seven are where? In heaven. There are only two left. And they're the two God sent to bear or bring light to these people who are living in dark. It's also important to understand that we don't know if the arrival of these two prophets or witnesses, if it's pre-trib or mid-trib, we don't know for sure. It works either way. But the one thing we know is God's plan is coming to the end. He's going to get His business done one way or the other. And this is where I shared this passage. The Jews are going to be driven into the hills when this anti-Semitism comes. They're going to have no choice but to flee or they're going to be killed. And that's what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 24. The day is coming when you will see what the Daniel prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Now this has to be mid-trib here. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out of, on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. Leave your belongings. Just run! Oops. How did I do that? I think it went backwards. There we go. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for the pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. Listen to this last verse. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. He's talking about the Jewish people here. The Lord's not going to let them be destroyed. They're going to get saved eventually. Hallelujah. Most speculate that these two witnesses are either Elijah and Enoch or Elijah and Moses. We don't know for sure. But we do know that during the transfiguration, which you'll find in these books, that it was Moses and Elijah. And they were both there talking about future events, talking about judgment judgment that was to come upon man. In fact, I wanted to read the last book in uh, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. I wanted to read briefly from verse 5 and 6 that says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. What is that, do you think? What is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Hello, come on, you've been with us long enough. Jacob's trouble, time of Jacob's trouble, it's the tribulation. 
His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So, Elijah is coming back. Now, whether this is actually him or someone similar to him, it could be two new prophets, we don't know for sure. But we know this, God is sending two witnesses and they're going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. You look around today, what do we see on TV, on news? Do you see the hatred? Do you see families pitted against family? North against south? Confederate against whatever? I don't even know anymore. These two men, they're going to rejoin the families, at least with the Jewish people. They're going to bring them back together. I think that's good news. Regardless of who they are, we need to see that even during the worst judgment from God, He still offers mercy. We serve a loving God. Don't ever question that. But for those who refuse the witness or try to bring harm to these men, instant judgment, annihilation. They'll be killed. No wonder these evildoers hate this dynamic duo. Right? Because if you look at them cross-eyed, they have the power to do it. God has had enough, folks. And we shouldn't think, this isn't in my notes, we shouldn't think if God didn't spare the Israelites when they rebelled against Him, who do we think we are if we're sitting here today rebelling against Him? He who had His ears, let Him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Verse 7. We're wrapping her up. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them and he will conquer and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where the Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. This verse right here could not have happened until this generation. The only way all nations, all tribes, all people could watch them as they laid their dead is if we had TV and internet. Folks, it's ripe for this to happen. And it's coming soon. No one will be allowed to bury them. Man, can you imagine the stench after a day or two or three? All the people who belong to this world, listen to this part, this is how wicked they are. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who, who had tormented them. 
they had a Christmas party. When they thought these two were dead. The opposite of what we do. We celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Right? We give gifts to each other because God sent a Savior. These guys are the opposite. They're giving presents because these two died. And they thought with them that God had died. Ha! Listen, you see it here. Satan could not touch them unless God gave them permission. The Antichrist could not bury these men unless God gave them permission. And he only gave them permission after they had fulfilled their three and a half year duty. And then he said, okay, have Adam. I suspect that the two witnesses knew it was coming. And I suspect that they're in the loving hands of God in that three and a half days going, I can't wait to get back and see their faces. There's a smug look on their faces when I stand up again. I was down, but I wasn't out. Hallelujah. <laughs> and God raises them back to life. Imagine the fear in those people who'd been who'd been giving gifts away. Ah, they're dead, they're dead, they're dead. Ah, they're not dead, they're not dead, they're not dead. Wow. I think what happened is at this point they're going to realize we're doomed. What Jesus said is going to happen, probably going to happen now. Rats, why didn't I believe? Verse 13. Oh, that says verse 11. After three and a half days, God breathed life into them and they stood up. Here we go. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come out up here! <laughs> Remember that before? John was called up that way. Who else is called up that way? We are. Come on up here, church. Woohoo! And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. Again, I cannot imagine the faces of these people and what they're going to look like. The sheer terror. Now verse 13. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second terror is past, but look, the third terror is coming quickly. So this is kind of the middle. Between the second and the third terror, right? There's a little bit of a lull here, and that's all it's saying. But what I want you to see, and, and most Bible scholars suggest that these 7,000 people were kind of like our movie stars today. You know our big hitters? Have you watched any of the late night shows where they're mocking Christians, they're mocking Jesus. They're doing all these things fulfilling the call of the Antichrist, I believe. And God is going to selectively destroy 7,000 of them. And those people that remain are going to be going. And it says it, right? Let me, let me reread it. 
Hang on. Everyone else that didn't die was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, what most of the scriptures, or excuse me, Bible scholars say here is that this isn't like a kind of repent kind of thing. This is more of a they fear God now. They realize He really is who He is, but it doesn't mean they're following Him. Hardened hearts. They know God has power, but they still don't want anything to do with Him. Their core is still evil. Seventh trumpet. Verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. You know there's coming a time when you're going to hear heaven shouting been pretty silent up to this point, right? The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah! Everyone in heaven realizes the end is almost here. Jesus is going to go back and do what He said He was going to do. Destroy his enemies and set up his kingdom. And we're going to be right there with him. Twenty-four elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and they worshipped him. And they said, We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have called destruction, caused destruction on the earth. Now this might sound like the Lord has already finished everything He had set out to do. But we know that isn't true for a couple of reasons. First, the, the dead aren't going to be judged until when? After a thousand years. So we've got a ways to go, but the second part of this is there's still seven judgments attached to that seventh trumpet being blown. They haven't happened yet. Now we're going to get into that more in a few weeks. But today, I just wanted to leave you with this. Let me, let me finish this. The last verse. In heaven, the temple of God was opened, and the ark of His covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. This concludes chapter 11. Now, the ark has always represented who? The Jewish people, right? Here, you're seeing it visibly in heaven's throne room. And it's interesting, I think, that there's no veil. You realize that? There's nothing preventing people from seeing it. So I believe what this is saying is God is going to draw His chosen people, the Jewish people, to Jesus, the true Messiah. They're going to get saved. And I believe this is a perfect example of that. 
Again, we'll get into this a lot more. Uh, the righteous anger of God is being seen, it's being felt, lightning flash, thunder is heard in heaven, and at the same time, earthquakes and hailstorms are taking place here on earth. So heaven is just letting them know the seven final judgments are about to come. Be ready. You don't want to miss what comes next. Three weeks. Can you bear up that long? Yeah. Next week, we know the Teen Challenge is going to be here. The following week, Pastor Barb and I have a, a message that we want to share with you from our hearts. You're not going to want to miss it, especially if you're a part of this body. Uh, I believe it's going to encourage and it's going to build up the saints. So that's in two weeks from today. And then I'll get back to this in three weeks. So if you can bear with me that long. I'd like to leave this with you before I close here. And I know it's noon, but I'll, I'll be quick. As one pastor put it, where God guides, God provides. Hallelujah. Where God guides, God provides. We saw how God gave the two witnesses each other. Now, he could have sent them out alone, but what would have happened? Have you ever worked in a place where they're all sinners but you? And how does that feel? Lonely. Lonely. You see here, God didn't want to leave his two. Remember what happened to Elijah the first time? What did he do? He ran up and hid in a cave, didn't he? I'm the only one. God didn't want that happening again. Maybe that's another reason it's Elijah. But The Lord gave him somebody to go with him, two by two. When he sent the 70 out, two by two, or 72. Yeah, he sent 70. Some say it should have been 70, but anyway, we won't go there. He didn't want these men to be lonely. They needed each other to encourage each other. I can't imagine what it's going to be like, what it will be like. Number two, he protected. Nothing could harm them unless he allowed it. The same is true with you and me. If God is telling you to share the truth in a place where you're not supposed to share it, share it. God might be telling you to call somebody out. Do it. If you don't, like the watchman, you don't want to be responsible for, for, for somebody going to hell when you had an opportunity to win them to Christ. So let's be sensitive to that. Number three, finally, he empowered. God gave us his Holy Spirit. The disciples had to wait before they went out to receive power from on high. The same is true with us. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be seeking it with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We need to be empowered. We need all God has for us in these last days. And God will put in your mouth what you need to share with people. He will do that. But He'll also give you the power. He'll loose angels around you if need be to keep you safe. Until your destiny has been fulfilled, until what you've been called to do is done, no one is going to be able to take you out. That's what we can take away from this. Would you stand with me?
this passage I have up behind me. I believe the church is here today to bring reason and truth to the people of this world. Though many have chosen to follow darkness, there are still many who are seeking. There are many who are on the fence. And it might just take a little persuasion from us to get them to come over to the light. To come over to the bright side and not the dark. Why am I thinking of Star Trek or the other ones? Star Wars. It's amazing how that movie portrays the light and the dark and the fight that's going on. Many choose darkness, but there's still a bunch of people out there who haven't made their mind up yet, and those are the ones God wants to reach. Just like this. Would you read this with me? You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. It is our responsibility, church, to let our light shine. If not us, who? If not us, who? God's got a couple billion people in the Christian church. I'm not saying they're all born again, but that's a bunch of them. And we're all being silent as the enemy treads on us. It's time to rise up. It's time to be bright, to be the light. Hallelujah. Where God guides, He provides. Will you be the light? Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm feeling a little ashamed because I don't think I've been doing what these passages of Scripture have been talking about. I don't think I've been a witness for Jesus, not like He wants me to be. That's you with every head bowed, eyes closed. Lift your hand up so I can see it. Hands going up. Ones that didn't raise your hand, I hope that means that you are that light. But for those that just raised your hand, listen to me. I believe this is... This is a time for us to come out of our comfort zones, to walk out of our shells, and to be counted. Our voices need to be heard. So what if we go to jail for it? So what if they persecute us, even kill us? There are a whole bunch of saints that are already in heaven who would fit that bill right there? Are we any better than them? I asked the Lord earlier today, Lord, why is it that our church has to preach this message? I want to preach a warm and fuzzy message so that everybody will want to come back next week. And the Lord said, yeah, you could do that. And then those billions of people are going to die because my church is being silent today and it's not telling anyone about it.
It isn't inviting. It isn't welcoming them into my kingdom. In fact, it's repelling them. And when I heard that, it confirmed in my spirit that I had to preach this message again today. It's not easy. I would rather deliver one that you can just, oh, I feel so good. Wasn't that a good message today from Pastor Norm? But I'd rather we went out of here because, listen, all of us are going to hear this. We're either going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or we're going to hear, get behind me, I didn't know you. Now, if you need to repent, you repent. If you've been doing it all right, praise God, keep on reaching the lost. But don't give up until Jesus comes back for us. Reach your family, reach your friends, reach your neighbors, do whatever you can. But folks, the hour is urgent. It's time. Father God, we stand here today in a spiritual sense, naked before You. Everything we have is from You. Anything of value is from You. The love You shared with us comes from You. I pray for everyone that raised their hand today that You would equip them, empower them, protect them, multiply the gifts in them, that we would go out of here empowered in the Holy Spirit, that God would be with us, and that we would let our light shine brightly for this lost world to see. God, that we wouldn't be timid any longer, but that we would have the voice of a lion. We would roar out in the name of Jesus, telling people that if they don't turn, they're going to burn. Yes, that's harsh, but it's truth. The God of love is coming, and He's coming to judge the world. And the only escape is by accepting what God did for them and applying the blood of His precious Son, Jesus, cleansing them of all their unrighteousness. May we get the Word out, Lord. Help us to be Your mouthpiece, to be the watchman that You've called us to be. Now we dedicate this church, Lord, this people into Your hands today. I pray that people would be challenged to speak out like never before. And Lord, I pray as we do that You would help us to see the fruit. God, that You would encourage us in our spirits. That it would be confirmed that we're doing the right things. We love You. And we commit this modern day church, the people of Mount Hope Church, Commit them and their success, Lord, into your hands. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I'm done. God bless you. Now, I don't want to hear you be all quiet. Get out of here and you be loud for Jesus. Amen? Have a great week. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at gaylorchurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We 
can't wait to be with you again next week.